When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Season 1, Episode 59, Jed Hoyer on 670, The Score. Don't want you to remember to forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget making a New Year's resolution to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And now we are going to hear Part 2 of Crawley's interview with Chip Carey. They talk about the 2003 season and the struggles of 2004 and much, much more. Another fantastic year that you got to witness firsthand was 2003. And, and people, I think, kind of sometimes forget that the first half of 2003 was okay. But it wasn't until that trade, the Ramos Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, getting Randall Simon, that they took off on that second half. Do, at what point did you say to yourself, this team really has a chance to win it all? Well, we were in Atlanta when the Braves uh, and Cubs were playing. And Jim Henry pulled off that trade with the Pirates. And I got the press release. And I'll never forget, I went... Like everybody else, my jaw dropped. And then I took the press release and I handed around the, uh, the partition to my dad, who was working next to me at Turner Field. And I said, this just happened. He read and went, wow. And he broke the news on TBS that the Braves had made that deal. Look, you know, the, the, the Cubs went for it. Jim Henry did a great job. You had Wood, you had Pryor, you had Zambrano. I mean, that was as good a threesome in the major leagues that year as anybody, you had power, you had speed, you had a very dynamic team. What was missing was that banger at third base that you could put in the middle of the lineup every single day and a speedy guy in center field who could go get the ball in Kenny Lofton. And um, look, Jim Hendry was a great GM, did a fantastic job getting those guys, put them over the top. And I think it gave people the sense that, hey, they're trying to win. And that's obviously something the guys in the room feel. And when you're broadcasting the games, you feel the same thing too. Hey, we're trying to win this thing. Let's go do it. And once that deal was made, I agree with you. I think it gave everybody some more pep in the step and they took off. Now I sit there and, and the one thing I hate, and I'm sure you hate this too, is when they take the local guys off the broadcast and then the postseason they go with the national guys. I mean, you guys, I love it. The, the guys that, you know, know the team, the ins and out, the intricacies of everything. And so, you know, the Cubs win their first postseason series, uh, what, since 1908 in Atlanta in 2003, were you there with, with your dad? No. Nope. No, you were in Chicago? In Miami either, um, for myriad reasons. But I'm with you. I, I wish there were – look, the money is so big. If the Yankees or the Mets are in, they don't want to lose that market for TV ratings for the playoffs because that's how they sell advertising. I get that. Um, I, I do wish – I like what Bob Costa said. Bob took some heat this year for the way that he broadcast the Yankees series. But he made an excellent point. I wish there was a way – that the local broadcasters would get to broadcast in, say, just Metro Atlanta for those audience members. Because you're right, we know the team better than they're ever going to know them. And, you know, for it to be turned over to the network guys, it's really, really hard. They don't follow the team the same way that we do. Um, and it's hard being a TV guy when the season's over and when the games start to matter most, you're out of luck. You just get to watch and spectate. So, um, but that's a, that's a decision way above my pay grade, but hopefully someday somehow they'll find a way to let the local guys have, uh, have, have some role. I agree, Chip. Now, you know, after 2003, the Cubs get Maddox and they get Latroy Hawkins. It looks like they're kind of filling in some of the pieces they need. 
and all of a sudden the season falls apart. And it, it was really kind of like one of the weirdest, darkest, like winning seasons for the Cubs. Usually when you associate winning and Cubs, you associate good times, but it just 04? seemed like, yeah, 2004. 2004 yeah. It just seemed like, you know, it, it just seemed like there was a lot of bickering and problems, uh, you know, people calling up to the press box and all that. I mean, what was it like being in the middle of that, that strange storm going on? That wasn't fun. Uh, you know, look, our job is to broadcast the games. It's the player's job to play the games. Uh, it's not their job to critique the announcers. Uh, it is our job to do that. And that was hard. Um, we could have been better supported, I think, uh, from management uh, and from the manager's chair on down. Look, Dusty and I have made amends, so that's over. It's ancient history. But living that in the prism was not easy. It wasn't fun. And, you know, look, it's easy to find a target when you're not playing well. And the Cubs in 04 at times didn't play particularly well. This was a team that was put together on paper to be better than 03 and get to the World Series. And I think had they stayed healthy, they would have. In fairness to them, they weren't. Pryor was hurt. Zambrano got hurt. I think Kerry got hurt. I mean, it was one injury after another. And still saying that, they went into September with a shot to to make postseason play. Um, you know, it was um, it wasn't enjoyable. You know, it's not fun. And uh, I, I think, um, you know, looking back in retrospect, I think both Steve and I could have probably handled that a little bit better. But that said, I don't pitch it. I don't catch it. I don't throw it. I don't make out the lineup card. And neither Steve nor I put the team together. It's up, up to, ultimately up to the then 25 guys and the coaching staff in that room to make it work. They couldn't. They didn't play well enough to get in. And as you said, 2004 was it was hard. It was hard. It was hard on a lot of different levels because of the expectations of how good the team was supposed to be. But you know what? When you get hurt, your team's not your team. You know, you, you, you just have to sort of chalk it up to bad luck and move on. And that's unfortunately what happened. And, and I think what Cub fans got used to, you know, coming from the days of Harry and Steve and then later on you and Steve is just being honest about what you're seeing on the field. And I, sometimes that's honesty is not the easiest thing. When you see something, your job is to kind of report it as, as you guys see it. And, and that's what you did. I'm not going to lie for any player. I'm not. Steve wasn't going to lie for any player. Our integrity matters too much to us. And look, it's television. People can see for themselves. Um, you know, I, I took great pride in knowing that I'm not a ripper. I wasn't Harry. This is a lousy ball club. This guy's, you know, that wasn't me. That wasn't my style. It never has been, never will be. But at the end of the day, when you lose 10 games in a row or you're four for 42 like Todd Hundley might have been, there is not a lot you can do about that other than point out the numbers. And if the players don't like that, then there's one thing they can do. Play better. They're the only guys that can control the narrative in the media, in the broadcast booth or whatever. We can try to soften the blow, but ultimately it's up to them. And as you know, in life, uh, when things are going good, nobody's picking up the phone and calling the power company and saying, hey, thanks for keeping my lights on. That's part and parcel <laughs> of it. And uh, that's kind of the approach that both Steve and I took. And that's the approach I still take. Well, I got to tell you, you know, you've come back a couple times to Wrigley when, when you broadcast games at Atlanta. I've seen you a couple times. You've always been generous with the fans. You know, it, it was Harry Carey that started that tradition of being mic'd up and doing the take me out to the ball game. You've done it yourself. How, how fun is that to think about that and, and, and just having those 40,000 eyes up there on you while you well, get to the stretch? Well, that's right? When, when 40,000 people turn and look at you and you got to hit that first C note, yeah, it's a little rough. It's a little intimidating, but it's fun. It's a great homage. I enjoyed it. I've done it several times. I'm a terrible singer like my grandfather, but the spirit of the, uh, of the thing is not lost on me, nor is the emotion of it. He, uh, he had a unique ability to connect with the fans, and uh, he loved being amongst them, as they say. 
and there was no better showman, no better guy to, to make people feel like the ballpark was a place where it's supposed to be fun. And hopefully I'm able to continue that tradition as well. Well, you know, you, you know, you had to be felt comfortable knowing that you saw some pretty bad guest conductors. Any anyone that you just really kind of sometimes still laugh at or shake your bad head? Bad is good, man. Ozzy sticks out right away. Ozzy Osbourne, <laughs> he was great. Uh, Mike Ditka uh, was was awesome. Uh, you know, when you'd have the Nutria North Junior Varsity High School assistant uh, soccer coach, those were always fun interviews. Uh, but look, we didn't take it too seriously. We had fun with it. And, you know, when you're not used to having a microphone and as I said, having 30,000 people look at you when you got to sing and perform, you know, the old saying, you got to be good when the red light's on, you find out pretty quickly who can do it and who can't. And, uh, you know, the, the folks that did it, did it in the spirit which was intended, which was fun. And uh, John McDonough had that brilliant idea and John did a great job with it. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful for the Cubs for continuing that tradition. Now, you talk about performing when the red light's on. The Cubs just signed Dansby Swanson, shortstop, to uh, to come on up and play for the Northsiders. And you've had, a, you know, you've gotten to watch Dansby throughout his career in Atlanta, hometown kid. What can you tell Cub fans uh, about Dansby Swanson, both the player and the teammate? Well, he had the second best hair in the Braves organization, just saying. <laughs> um, no, he's a great guy. He's a winner. All he wants to do is win. He's obsessed with winning. He's going to do all the little things that it takes to win. He's going to set the tone and tempo and culture in that locker room, not just for now, but for the young players that you guys have coming up through your system. He wants to play every day. Uh, he's going to hit for power. He's going to make all the plays at shortstop. He's athletic. He's smart. He has a very high baseball IQ. He's going to drive you nuts because he's going to strike out a lot. Uh, but when he hits the ball to right center field, he's going to hit a lot of home runs and a lot of doubles in that gap. The Cubs are going to have very good middle defense with Bellinger in center, Horner at second, Swanson over at shortstop. Um, you know, the, the price that the Cubs paid was one that I assume was, was uh, too high for the Braves at this point in time. And I liken it to when the Cubs signed John Lester. They signed him to an over-market deal not for the first year that they brought him, but for all the things that John Lester brought to your team, which eventually was a world championship. And I think the same is going to be true for Dansby Swanson. We're going to miss him in Atlanta. Um, he's a great player. And uh, I think that the infield grass at Wrigley, the capricious winds, as Steve Stone used to call them at Wrigley, are things that are really going to help him. And I hope, as a uh, guy who saw him play pretty much every game in the major leagues, I hope that he falls in love with Chicago as much as I fell in love with being at Wrigley Field. And if he does, it'll be a wonderful seven-year marriage. And it would not surprise me to see him leading a parade down Michigan Avenue before his contract is out. Oh, to, from your lips to the baseball God's ears. One <laughs> more player right now is, is that a guy that went from Atlanta, now he's going to Milwaukee on the north side of the Cheddar Curtain, William Contreras, who we, you know, we knew his brother quite well. Uh, what do you see happening with William as far as his future? Oh, he's an offensive catcher. Uh, he, you know, he's got to work thing, on things defensively. He got a lot better this year uh, compared to his rookie season. He's an all-star. The guy can hit, and he can play first base. He can play the outfield if he had to. He can DH. He can catch. He's going to hit a lot of home runs at American Family Field. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good young player and a guy that I think is going to help the Brewers as they begin the next transition and next stage of whatever their development's going to be. Uh, look, the Braves pride themselves on drafting and developing young, talented players to get him to the major leagues. And Alex Anthopoulos really held his powder for the first two, three years when he was the GM here. He's not afraid now to trade young players to get proven commodities. And uh, Murphy, the kid that they got from the Oakland A's, is a gold glove caliber guy. 
uh, terrific catcher, terrific, terrific receiver, and that's something the organization in Atlanta really, really, really puts a premium on. So to get a guy like that in the prime of his career, the price was William Contreras and a whole boatload of other players. But Alex Anthopoulos thinks he's got the answer behind the plate for the next several years. We'll see if he's right. Well, Chip, I appreciate you giving us your time today, and it was great talking and reminiscing back to it. We really, I, I can say as somebody that grew up in my early 20s, just watching you and being the voice of the Cubs from the 90, you know, from the late 90s to the early 2000s, it was a blast. And I appreciate you coming on the Fly the W podcast. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Good luck to the Cubs, unless, of course, they play my beloved Braves. But we'll uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon, and Merry Christmas. Take care, Chip. Thank you. You too. Take care.